Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. On this episode of Better at Work, I am joined by the amazing Bruce Daisley. Now, Bruce was the ex-CEO of Twitter in Europe, and he's written some great books. One of my favorites, The Joy of Work. Bruce talked us through his career, why he's so passionate about workplace culture. He gave me some really simple tricks and I had a great conversation with him. He talked through mill workers. He talked through so many fun things as well. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Bruce. Welcome, Bruce, to Better at Work. Thank you. Lovely to get this opportunity to talk to you. We're delighted to have it, I tell you, as you've been named the fantasy hire that most leaders would like to make. Now, you know, what do you think makes you these people's fantasy hire and how might our listeners become one too? (laughs) I think that was a reflection of, I used to work at YouTube and Twitter and try and do as many conferences as I could every year. And I start from a perspective of having a very short attention span. And so I try to judge things based on my own perspective tried to craft presentations that were attention grabbing, fresh, new. You know, when I worked at YouTube, my goal was I never presented the same presentation twice. Because it's not fair to turn up and, you know, present something that's a 10 out of 10 website in a three out of 10 way. You're letting down your side of the bargain. So it used to be, you know, this is what was trending on YouTube yesterday. This is the meaning of it. Brand new stuff all the time. Same with Twitter. You know, we we had something where anytime anyone went out to present, we used to call them deck starters in the end, but um, we used to circulate like the hottest tweets of the week. So you'd turn up somewhere, you'd say, I saw this yesterday. And it just feels fresh. It feels exactly. like it feels like you're you're as fresh as the platform. So I think a lot of it came from that. But you know that people would have seen me somewhere and gone, Oh, this guy, he's always got something original. That was my objective, really. I think you've shared a great tip there for our listeners, right? Keep it fresh, keep it on topic and uh, see what's happening in the news and bring that to life. I couldn't agree more with that. I I find even in my corporate jobs, keeping things fresh, sending out to teams the latest behavioral science insights on how to make your day better. Teams love it. They get really a kick out of it. So I'm going to steal your idea there of uh, keeping my presentations fresh. It critically comes down to a fundamental misunderstanding. We presume when we're writing a presentation that everyone in the audience cares and they care as much as we do. So what do we do? We write down everything we want to say on all these slides. No, no one cares. No one cares. No one cares anywhere as as much as you. And so unless you do at least 50% entertainment as well as education, you've lost the audience. And so, you know, having that discipline was always a critical focus for me. What I love about your books is they give very simple practices to improve how we all work, which can lead to greater happiness and performance. Now, where did this all begin for you, right? Why did you become so interested in in making people, I suppose, really enjoy their jobs? Where, Where did it come from? 
for me, a critical determinant of my job was like, did I enjoy the crack? Did I enjoy the chat with the people around me? Did I enjoy passing the meetings, getting stuff done? And it was particularly of interest because I had a lot of friends who worked in other jobs where they never smiled all week. You know, it was a regime. They had to be in on the dot of nine. They couldn't leave till 6.30. So as a consequence, I became really interested. Wow, I feel more motivated by being in these places that sort of shimmer to the sound of laughter compared to my friends who worked at these organisations that they hated, they had a disdain for. And so I became really fixated with workplace culture and what the secrets of it were in a very layperson perspective. And then actually it wasn't until I was at Twitter and I was the sort of European boss of Twitter. And I thought when I first joined Twitter, I'd spent about three or four years there. I thought, wow, I've built a really good culture here. And it was a degree of arrogance for me to perceive that I'd built a really good culture here, but I'd hired some really good people and, you know, real cultural icons. I was convinced that, you know, collectively something special had happened. And then it all went disastrously wrong. And I thought, well, until now, you've just presumed that creating workplace culture is this effortless thing that just because you understand it, you can do it. I found myself at that stage starting to look out and see if there was any things that were written. And there are, but they're written in really obscure places or, you know, these things written, but they are never processed for a workplace audience. So, you know, this whole realm of psychology called organizational psychology. Hang on, what's that? The psychology of companies. Wow. I had no notion that existed. But then you start reading it and you're like, oh, none of this happens at my work. I know. And so it, it became a fascination that, you know, there was a whole realm of science that was sitting unused and it became a curiosity. Well, how on earth is this organizational psychology going to reach people in jobs unless someone acts as the translator for it, really? So that became my fascination. I love it. I followed your journey a lot over the last few years because I was like, God, there's someone actually very similar to me because I, I feel exactly the same. I'm like, what's the magic sauce that sometimes makes certain teams work versus others? And I agree with you, reading about it and understanding it, but being able to digest it and make it simple for people in contact centers or operations teams, they have no idea what, you know, the latest behavioral science or theory is. But if you can translate it in a way that they understand, and that's why I love your book, like, you know, bring the team together for a morning tea or move the seating around. It's all practical, simple things, which I absolutely love. Precisely. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, quite often the things that people say to me is they say, look, you know, I've got no power in my organization. My boss is tyrannical. What can I do to improve the culture? And generally, I would say at that point, look, just rip a chapter out of the book and your photocopy of the chapter and circulate it for the team and say, let's all talk about this chapter, you know, eight pages, 10 page chapter. Let's talk about this at our team offsite away day. Yeah. Let's talk about this. And, you know, and generally what I've found is that if you bring something to a discussion that appears to be evidenced, so evidence was a really big part of what I wanted to include and is independent, it's not you saying it, yes. then you can at least have an impact. I know that specifically when I worked at Twitter, we had a really bad burnout culture sort of a few years ago now, but people were working incredibly hard. They were working sort of across time zones. There was a real culture of weekend emails. And so as a consequence of that, people felt like they could never switch off. You know, they would open their email client in the morning and there would be emails there. And so as a consequence, people said the only difference between Saturday, Sunday and the rest of the week is that, you know, I've also got to deal with my kids or I've also got to deal with, you know, domestic responsibilities. But pretty much 
I'm doing the same amount of work. And so we went to the, the people who could really have an impact with this, the, the most senior people in the organization, presented some of the evidence. So look, we've got a burnout epidemic. We need to try something. And we got the top people in the company to agree that, okay, we're going to try and reduce our reliance on weekend emails. And it wasn't easy. In fact, you know, a couple of weeks after we agreed it, one of the lead people started emailing again. And someone had to say, oh, just a reminder, we've agreed that we're not going to do weekend emails anymore. So a bit of evidence, a bit of independence. These things, I'm pretty convinced, can help all of us shift our workplace culture a little bit. You have a buyer in me, Bruce. I have followed a lot of those things myself over 20 years in big corporates. I saw that you said that a Gallup survey of global workers revealed that only 13% of employees are engaged in their jobs, meaning that people are burnt out, they're unhappy at work. Can you tell us a little bit more your thoughts on what you think people can do about that to make themselves uh, maybe a bit more engaged at work? The biggest determinant of whether you're engaged with your job, single biggest determinant, is whether you've got a friend at work. When people feel that they identify with the people around them, they feel like they've got a good job. There's some really good research. Basically, when people feel like we're all in this together, they're less stressed and they're more engaged. And I think you really recognise then that the component of good working is about shared identity. And so as a consequence, when you look into really good teams, there's often a really cohesive sense of connection. It's Mm. what one brilliant psychologist who passed away this year called Sigal Barside talked about companionate love. And what she meant by that was that, you know, when she was going to see firefighters and saying they had companionate love, or when she was going to see people who worked in restaurant teams, when there was a real sense of fondness and connection between them, it was when they did their best work and and Mm. they were more accountable, they delivered better results. So to me, this is a real secret component of good working. You know, let's look at examples when we we look at leadership and we say, that's great leadership. When you look at President Zelensky in Ukraine and you see him in his T-shirt on the battlefield next to his colleagues, all in this together, we say, ah, that's good leadership. And then when you see Vladimir Putin at the end of a long table, sort of estranged from all the people he's meant to be working with, not wanting to be near them, we go, oh, right, that's not all in this together. Good leadership has the same characteristics of it wherever we see it. And so these things shouldn't be a surprise to us. It is these simple things that people want, right? They just want to see the leader come out of their office and ask some questions. You know, we used to do things in one of the banks I worked with, which was really good. It was called War on Stuff Wednesdays. It was like all the leaders would walk around to all the huddles and it was called War on Stuff Wednesdays. It was like, what stuff do we need to get rid of? And it really created a great energy across the company. I know that you're a fan of uh, Dan and Chip Heat as well. I think you have them on your reading list. I'm a big fan. They talk a lot about uh, John Deere and how John Deere has a great, you know, the tractors. So for anyone listening, John Deere tractors. And I remember reading in their book about how John Deere have an amazing onboarding experience for new staff. You know, you arrive the first day, your name is up on in the lobby, you get to your desk, there's balloons on your desk, you're taken for lunch on the first day with your boss and the team. It creates a great culture. And I was fascinated by this. I thought, what a simple thing to do. Don't we all hate that first day in a new job? It's just as you were talking about some of the simple things there, it reminded me of that. Absolutely. And the importance of rituals, because if, if you read that, and I loved that, and they get, I think they give you a tractor as well. Yeah, because they, they do. They know that, you know, if, if you've got a little kid taking a tractor home on the first day at the tractor company will be exactly what they expect you to do. So really simple stuff. What you realize when you read that is, oh, all right, this isn't complicated. No one would look at that and go, wow. 
This is a transformational secret way to welcome someone. No, it's just basic stuff. It's like someone greeting you by name. It's like, you know, everyone taking you for lunch, like really simple stuff. But in terms of making people feel part of a team and an organization, it's really, it's just a very simple and effective way to do it. So just a good reminder, as we've discussed here, that some of this stuff isn't hard. We just sometimes make it hard. It's not rocket science, right? And sometimes when I meet with HR professionals and they they go, we're going to do this big thing to get the employee engagement up, etc. I am often the person that's brought in to give a little bit of reality and go, look, actually, sometimes people just want a good leader and they want someone that's going to clear the way for them, get rid of the crap. And you know what? Have a morning tea. It's not rocket science. So I agree with you. Now, I have to touch on the mill owner. And I think a lot of people listening who are managers will be very interested in the 19th century mill owner. Tell us a bit about your mill owner story. Yeah, it's it's a really good, just a reminder, actually, of who we've become compared to who we wish we want to be. And I was chatting to someone who's a really progressive, intelligent guy, uh, runs small independent business. And he said, you know, if you asked him, what sort of a leader he was, what sort of a boss he was. He'd say, yeah, I'm one of the good guys. I do things in a really progressive way. I'm I'm not like the old fashioned guys. But he said, there's a strange thing in him. When he gets maybe back to the office after lunch and it's three o'clock and no one's at their desks, or maybe he gets in in the mornings and he's he's in the office at 10 o'clock and no one's there. He says he becomes this 19th century mill owner. And he goes from being the cool progressive guy to thinking, where the hell is everyone? Why aren't they here? And he sort of, there's something in him that becomes critical and disapproving. And I think it's just a timely reminder for all of us that probably we're focusing on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Look, you know, the whole time I sort of worked in big companies or small companies, there was an obsession with accountability, with, with you know, making sure that we got results done. And certainly when I worked at Twitter, we were significantly under-resourced compared to our major competitors. So we needed to get high impact out of our people. You have the illusion of thinking high productivity means people in at eight o'clock in the morning and leaving at seven o'clock in the evening, rather than focusing on outputs. And uh, I think, you know, the the mill owner uh, metaphor, the, the mill owner story is just a, a good reminder that actually work gets done maybe in a different way to sometimes we we expect. And look, it's just a good reminder for this moment we're in right now. I'm witnessing a lot of organisations sort of battling with how many days in the office, yeah. in the, the new world of working and, and how they want that to be configured. And to some extent, those are meaningful and, and, and important discussions. To some extent, they are a distraction from, yeah. is someone doing a good job? Actually, what is their responsibility? Their responsibility is to keep clients happy. Right, okay, well, number one, the amount of time they're in my office is less relevant to the amount of time they're in client's office, for example, or, you know, thinking about how we work in different ways. And I think, you know, having that honesty about what we're trying to accomplish is probably the most important thing, really. And actually kind of linked to that as well. I mean, obviously our podcast is about being better at work and I'm a big believer. This is a, some people don't love this word, but I call it betterness. Like how can we be a little bit better than we were yesterday? That's all I ask. Like, let's just keep trying to be better. And to the point of the mill owner and kind of driving maybe the wrong behaviours, I love, and I think it's actually a very important point that you make in the book. People underestimate their part in making working life more rigid and think being cheeky about people leaving early in inverted commas, you mentioned previously you do not like environments where people are saying things like, oh, half day today, Bridget. 
Yeah, the first day I gathered my team at Twitter, I said, you know, I gathered them together and said, look, you know, we've got to create a positive working culture here. There's a very good chance we're not going to succeed in getting, you know, it, it was right at the early days of Twitter. We're not going to succeed in, in everything we want. And so we've just got to try our best to, to do it. But the one thing that I'm telling you now is that our culture will never be the sort of culture that where we say half day or nice that you joined us because... Anyone who got up from their desk at four o'clock to go home is filled with anxiety. They're like, I don't want anyone to see me. I'm filled with fear. Or you'll know it yourself. Sometimes you're like, you'll be heading into the office in the the old days and you'll get there at 11 and you're dreading someone saying something sarcastic to you. You don't know the morning I've had. You don't know the stress I've had. You don't know, you know, I've done my very best to get here, but I feel like I'm sort of back at school. And so, you know, just trying to stamp those things out was really critical, I think. I love it. And look, you know, Bruce's book, I love the way he splits the the book out into recharge, sync and buzz. And he talks about how, you know, it's in the first section, how we can recharge our own energy. Love it. Sync is fantastic. It draws on the groundbreaking scientific research to offer suggestions on how to bring trust and connection to your team. Fantastic. And Buzz, that section outlines their nirvana for teams, um, a work culture that has a special buzz. And I'm a big fan of frameworks, Bruce. So the minute I saw a three framework model in your book, I was like, I'm bloody sold. <laughs> the sync bit, really, I think I spent a lot more time on your sync bit. I, I love the sync bit. And, you know, I really don't want to finish our podcast without touching on you, like me, are a big fan of humor and laughing. And, and I, I heard you recently say, the defining thing about work for you is laughing every day. And you also mentioned that it obviously brings sync to teams. Tell us a little bit why people should not run away from having some humor in work. Yeah, look, you know, the critical thing is that, number one, we only laugh with people we like. It signals togetherness. It signals bonding. It's a way for us to feel that this is a collectively safe place. The other thing is that, you know, I think we can lose sight of the fact that we're going to be spending a lot of time working together. And actually, if we can find a way to make it agreeable and enjoyable, you know, back to what I said previously, when we have a friend at work, we feel like we're more engaged with our jobs. If we can do those things, that actually it makes the passage of time more, mm. more enjoyable in our lives. The best teams I've ever worked in are the teams that we laughed a lot and we there was plenty of humour uh, that characterised our experience. So, you know, I think sometimes... I remember someone once saying to me, you know, now's not the time to be seen laughing because the business was in a bad way and they, they, it was like an earnest thing. From my perspective, actually, even the worst times are the time to be seen laughing. You know, if you can switch on laughter when things are bad, largely that's what we see in other people who have stressful jobs, combat soldiers, firefighters, police. They, they generally have a lot of laughter because it's a great way to mitigate against stressful circumstances. So, you know, my feeling is laughter is an incredible motivator. It's an incredible bonding uh, device. And, and, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. And I think as well, sometimes just taking the pressure out of the system. There was an amazing lady I worked for at Goldman Sachs and we would go in and, you know, if something bad happened, it was like we had an incident or something and you would go in and she had a great way of kind of getting people calm about it. She'd go, as a result of this incident, how many people have died? And we would say, well, no one's dead. She'd go, okay, well, we've got a situation, right? Let's not, you know, and it was great. Like everyone in the room just went, oh, thank God. (laughs) 
But the other thing I was going to ask you is Crisp Thursday. I read that in the book. Another simple thing in syncing and engagement with your team. This story is a good example for me how anyone can contribute to changing their culture. I went to one place where someone said, the receptionist changed our culture here. I said, oh, okay, how? And she turned up, it was a, I think it was a media agency of around 50 people. And the receptionist had said to someone, this is maybe one of the worst cultures I've ever worked in. And, you know, someone who's the temp worker who sort of goes from place to place gets a good insight into different mm-hmm. places. She says, no one talks to each other. I've never been somewhere that no one talks to each other. Anyway, she took it in her own hands. And so she went out one Thursday. She bought, you know, a few tubes of Pringles, a few bags of, of kettle chips. And, and, uh, she came back and she laid them all out on the paper plates. She sent an email around the company. She said, it's the most exciting time of the week. It's 4.30. It's Thursday. It's crisp Thursday. Cost her a few dollars to set up the thing. Very quickly, it became a ritual in the organization. And didn't need alcohol, although occasionally people would bring alcohol along. Everyone paused. It was a good time in the week where people were getting to the end of the week. Maybe they weren't in dashing off like they might be on a Friday, but it was a moment of connection. And I think we can sometimes neglect the importance of connection. There was mm. a wonderful thing that I saw um, by the, the late chief rabbi of the UK, a guy called Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, being asked about sort of, you know, what he saw was bonded groups. And he says, there's a word in the Old Testament that's called simcha, S-I-M-C-H-A. And he said it, it's roughly translated to mean joy. But he said that misses something about it. It's, it's actually shared joy. It's like it's a participle of we rather than I. And he says, shared joy, quite often when we reflect on our favorite times in the year or our favorite memories of life or the things that really have defined us, they haven't been individual things. They've been Mm. moments of simha, moments of shared joy. We should all think about that when it comes to teams, when it comes to connection. Those moments of shared experience are the things that actually create the team. So, you know, if anyone right now is thinking, how can I re-energize my team? How Mm. can I create more connection? It's it's setting about trying to create these moments of simha are really critical. Yeah, and I think um, people are trying to do that a lot, Bruce, because even, I mean, here in Australia now, things are getting back to normal, but people are exhausted. They're burned out from being Mm. on Zoom. They're exhausted. Their resilience is is lower than it's ever been. And I know you've done a TED talk on burnout, etc. But is there anything else as a final tip you'd give people to think about how they can build back some resilience? Got a book coming out in August, which is about how resilience is a toxic myth. Ooh. And, and uh, so, so broadly, you know, resilience is something that it's very convenient for firms to ask us to demonstrate. We can demonstrate individual strength, but it's, it's look, you know, I'm going to tell you now, it's accessed uh, collectively, not individually. When you see people demonstrating strength, it's because they feel like they can draw on the, the sort of the support of the people around them when they've got a sense of personal control, when they understand their own identity. But these things are not a little invocation that if someone demands we become more resilient, we flick on a switch. So I've got I've spent two and a half years researching a book on that. So that's coming out in August. I'm looking forward to that book. I've heard you mention that book a few times and I keep going, when is he sending that book out? I'm desperate to read yeah. it. Um, so August, <laughs> we will keep an eye for that in August. Yeah. Now we finish every interview with the following question. Can you recall the best advice you received that made you better at work? Yeah, I mean, I used to work with a, a very funny Scottish guy. He had a brilliant perspective, very incisive mind, incredibly intelligent. But, you know, the first thing he ever said to us uh, is he used to say, remember, listen, it's all bollocks. <laughs> 
So it was, it was similar to your colleague who used to counsel you that no one had died. Yes. His approach was maybe a bit more colloquial Glaswegian, but uh, remember, Bruce, it's all bollocks. And so, you know, it, it, it's it was, it's became, become a maxim for me. Like, okay, you know, in the spirit of what you said, but let's try to keep it in, in perspective. No one's died here. Let's do our best work, but also let's not kill ourselves. Love that. Love that. Uh, I think our listeners are going to like that. Thank you so much, Bruce. We always like to share where people can get more information on you. I've been a big fan of your book, The Joy of Work, 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job. Plus, as you mentioned, you've got your new book coming, which uh, I can't wait to get my hands on. And of course, your podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, for anyone that is really interested in everything from hybrid work right through to employee engagement. Bruce has got it all there. I love it. And of course, sign up to his newsletters because uh, I really enjoy when I get his newsletter through. So thank you so much, Bruce, for joining us on Better at Work. And hopefully we'll get to chat to you again at some point. So good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Hello, Annette. Welcome again. Hi, Cahal. How great was Bruce? I loved it. I loved it, Cahal. So many tips and takeaways. You know, starting off with those really great tips about presentations. And I love how Bruce said, you know, if you're not providing 50% entertainment, then, you know, you're, just, <laughs> you're wasting people's time or so, something like that about, you know, no one cares about what you've got to say and bringing the fresh insights. I thought he was great. You know, like if you think about someone like Bruce, he's been the CEO of Twitter. I love the fact that he really wanted to understand what made people in some organizations smile and people in other organizations miserable. And I loved his whole mantra around getting the team recharged, getting them, you know, sinking and buzzing. You know, it was just fantastic. Another thing that I, I love, Kahal, and it made absolute sense to me looking back through my working life was that insight around having a good friend at work being yes. the biggest determinant of whether you're engaged or not. And I think about the jobs that I've had where I've loved going to work. It's when I've had a best friend there who I'm going to spend yeah. parts of the day with. And then following on from that, those insights of what flows from having those friends at work. So you identify and you belong, you're having a good time at work and therefore you feel like you have a good job you do a better job and you're more engaged. And the other insight that I love that Bruce shared is actually what that does is it reduces the stress. So the stress from the pressure of the work that you're doing when you have that sense of identity and belonging through those friendships. Yeah, I love that too. And it's something you and I talk about a lot, right? You know, you and I say that when, you know, you're working with people that become friends, the work becomes even more enjoyable, right? I don't know many organizations who make that a priority of talking about the value, importance and strengths of friendships in the workplace and making time for those, you know, as well as your breaks, go and have a coffee with your best friend at work once a week. I really liked how he said, we were talking about the fact that people leaving early or what was perceived as leaving early, like, oh, Bridget, early day today. He was saying that's not a good thing to be doing because actually, you know, it turns the workplace into really a place that it doesn't need to be. You know, you should have trust with your staff, have flexibility and, you know, don't walk by that kind of behavior, stamp that out. 
So Annette, as always, our listeners love to hear your three key takeaways from the conversation with Bruce. What are the things that listeners can take to work tomorrow or next week to make themselves better? I think the three things for me, Kahal, around it's up to us. We can all change the culture in our workplace. We can all be the person that starts crisp Thursday. Don't wait for leaders, managers, CEOs, change the culture yourself. So I think that that's number one. Then number two was that value and importance of recognizing that making friends at work is really good for you. It's really good for you. It's good for the people you work with. And it's also good for the company and, and your customers as well. So recognizing that The third one for me was around importance of humor and not feeling like, you know, when it's serious, this is not the time for for laughter. Yes. Having fun, having a laugh, it puts people at ease and, and people laugh with people they like and trust. You and I like to have a laugh and that gave, that gave me yes. some more endorsement about it's okay and it's good to have a laugh at work. I love those, Anne. Thank you so much and some really great things there. So for anyone listening to us, bring fun in. You can see the CEO of Twitter in Europe. He has brought fun to work in his jobs. Try those things out. And even as Bruce said as well, just talk to your team about them and see what you can do. So thank you, Annette, for that. Now, of course, it's time for our listeners question. It's from a lady called Sita. Sita is a manager. She's overwhelmed at the moment because her teams are not engaged at all. They are incredibly tired because of COVID. She's tried everything and we've been hearing it. She's tried bingo night. She's tried (laughs) trivia night. She's tried it all. And there's a real struggle with getting the team to be engaged. She's got a real problem right now, right? The team are so demotivated is what I'm gathering from this email. Kahal, I think that if the team is demotivated, CETA is most likely demotivated as well. So I, mm. I would say for CETA, it's starting with her own energy and starting with her own approach to her day. So two parts to that is that if she is recognizing overwhelm, getting the right support there. So is, is that a counsellor or is it more those habits that might have drifted away around hydration, movement, mindfulness, intention for the day, planning? So that, that first part and that, that goes to the recharge from Bruce. And then there's that second part of around the sink, around putting this all on the table with the team. The second part, Kahal, goes to one thing, amazing approach that I've seen you take that you might want to comment on of the stop, start, continue, and then I'll come back to a few more ideas for CETA. This is something I've done in the past where I've had teams that are maybe overworked. They're just not engaged anymore. This is a very simple exercise to do. You literally bring the team together. Or you bring the leaders together, depending on, you know, whether you have five leaders reporting to you or, you know, you just have a team of 10 or 12 people, whatever. You bring those people together in a room. You get three pieces of paper and you put them up on the wall, ones that you can write on and stick to the wall. And on each page, uh, the first page, you write stop on the top of the page. On the second page, you write start. And on the third page, you write continue. 
And what you do is, as a team, you start to get them all engaged to ask, what should we actually stop doing in the team? Because I have always found asking the team, what should we stop, actually engages them really well. They go, oh my God, someone's asking at last. Well, we should stop doing this report that we've been doing for 20 years because Peter in finance asked for that 20 years ago. Okay, and who needs it now? No one. Okay, well, let's stop it. And you as the manager have to be there and you have to agree to these things. So the person with the decision rights is you as the manager, Sita. So for me, I would start with the stops. What are we going to stop? Then get to uh, the continue. I would go to continue next, ask the team, what should we continue doing? And they'll normally say things like, we should continue to engage with our stakeholders. Our stakeholders really love us. Or we should continue to meet with our customers on a regular basis because that's how we find out what's going on. So it's a great way of re-engaging the team to go, hey, we do some stuff here we really like doing, right? We should continue to do that. And list all those down and then you get to your start, which is new things you should start doing, right? And that might be anything from we should start a project to fix the systems issues on a Friday, or we should set up something so that half the team can go home earlier on one day of the week and the other half can go home a little bit earlier. It can be whatever you want as a team. Let them come up with ideas and let them think about what it is that they'd like to start doing. You're going to have to put some names behind the thing. So if it's something that's stopping, it's easy to say that stopped. We're not doing it from tomorrow. But if there's things you want to start doing, you might need to put an initial beside someone of the team that will maybe be the face of that. They'll drive it forward. And then all I would say is check in maybe two, three weeks after to go, how did we get on? And depending on where you're at, maybe do it every three weeks For a little while, it might be that you need to do it for two, three months to see, have we really stopped the things? Have we continued the things we said? And have we started the new things? So I have found that that's worked. I love that, Kahala. It's a really practical way, an easy way to do the sync. And also, I think for CETA, from that, particularly the stop, and maybe the start, there'll be those insights around what are the aspects that are draining the energy and what are the things that could be started that will help maybe fix some things or, yes. um, or build some momentum and excitement. So that that's a really practical way to approach the sink. And then I think about the, the buzz thing. There's lots of ideas from Bruce as well around the importance of friendship, the importance of bringing in some of the science to the team, the importance of keeping those commitments. It might be for CETA to, to think about approaching this in the in the recharge sink and buzz. So recharge her own energy. So all yes. of those things she can do for herself and self-care, some really practical tips about how to engage the team around what needs to change for the sink. And then once you've got those two out of the way, then I think ideally the buzz follows with some some giggles and fun along the way. Yeah, exactly. And look, the other thing I would say is sometimes, Sita, it can be that a team is not engaged anymore because maybe some of them have been in the team for a long time. And sometimes as a manager, you might have to go, okay, I got to change things around here. One final tip I would say is sometimes even hiring one new person in the team can have a huge impact. 
So if someone has resigned or if someone is, you know, if someone's saying to you, Sita, I'm not happy here anymore. Can you help them find another role within the company, wherever, and actually then replace that person with someone with a new energy? You would be shocked. I have seen it time and time again. One new person can change the whole dynamic. But we hope that helps you, Sita. It's really a tough place you're in. And of course, feel free to contact Annette or I on uh, Better at Work. Drop us an email on our website as we'd love if there's anything else we can do to help you. Thank you as always, Annette. A pleasure to have you for our Let's Take It Offline part of the show. Really enjoyed this week's Bruce's takeaways and of course, hopefully helping Sita out. Uh, We'll be back again soon. And Annette, have a great week ahead. You too, Kahal. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.